Hi, I am your host, Brent Feldman. Welcome to another episode of Mix and Matchbox. I am here today with Joe Worm, who's the Director of Corporate Partnership for uh, Goalie, or Gifts of Love International. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. How are you doing? Thank you. We're doing great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's I'm glad to be here. Yeah, definitely. Great to have you. Uh, we had a great chat just the other day, and I'm happy to have you on the podcast as well. Um, we'll kind of just jump right into the questions and stuff here really quick. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to asking some of these. So, um, sure. yeah, you've made some, uh, pretty cool and, and distinct career shifts, you know, uh, throughout, uh, the, the time throughout your career and stuff. And, um, how, how did you kind of get to like where you're at today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it is definitely a, a, a career shift for me to go from for-profit to profit or to nonprofit. Um, but basically I started out my career in sales uh, and sales business development has been always something that I have just kind of naturally gravitated towards. And uh, I was working in a St. Louis packaging company uh, for a long time. And one of my friends who owns a manufacturing business along with his brothers, he invited me to come work for him back in 2012, which is a pet care products company and our company is called Cosmos Corporation and we make uh, products that care for dogs, uh, shampoos, oral care products, things like that, flea and tick are preventative products. And this company has a benevolence uh, philanthropy called Gifts of Love International. And so it's all about our giving back. And so the company was was developed or created uh, in order to give back, to give back to the community that we live in and the communities abroad. And so I came to work in innovation and created a bunch of new products, worked in new product development for about 10 years. And this year, early this year, I was asked if I would move over to the not-for-profit side. So. Um, I'm still with the same family of people that I've been with for the past 11 years. And uh, this year now I have an opportunity to actually work directly for the not-for-profit goalie. And uh, it's been very, very uh, challenging, but at the same time, very rewarding. And I really am enjoying it. That's awesome. That is, that is really cool. And it's neat to be able to, yeah, do something that's, uh, you know, more, more directed maybe yeah. by your heart, uh, too, yeah. which, which is fun. Um, you know, I, I guess in general, I, I know you kind of mentioned the connection there, which was, uh, the, the philanthropy side of Cosmos mm -hmm. really kind of bridged in the side for, for goalie. Um, is there anything else that you could say, um, you know, about, uh, how, you know, those kind of two worlds get stitched together, uh, in general, the nonprofit and the for-profit, are there like similar lessons that seem to apply to both, even though they seem like different worlds? Yeah, I, I, I think the thing that stitches them together for me is the, the business development and relationships. Uh, because you can, you know, I really felt like this role that I have, director of corporate partnership, is, is all about relationships. And so, when you when you go from someone not knowing that you exist all the way to someone actually giving towards your philanthropy, that's a lot of ground to cover. And the thing, the common denominator for me is relationships. And so my role uh, allows me to meet a lot of new people, which I love to do. And it's it's really about building that relationship and letting that heart connect uh, from one person to the other, because the person will give 
uh, based upon that heart connection. And it's really kind of an easy thing for us is just go out, create awareness and create relationships. And people will naturally gravitate towards the things that they see. People give to what they see. And so if you can show them what you're doing, a lot of times they will give, whether it's $5 or $5,000, it doesn't matter to us. We want to give that give that person the ability to connect to their heart and allow them to give because it's really a significant thing. That's really cool. Um, just, just digging in on that a little bit more as you know, you kind of go in for the ask. Um, I, I know that there's quite a few people that go from kind of like, yeah, sales to, you know, that the mm -hmm. sort of development sort of role. Um, is the ask any harder um, as you go to a nonprofit, you know, sort of role as opposed to in the sales where it's, you know, more direct and transactional? Like, uh, yeah, is it is it tough at all? <laughs> I, I would I would say no, it's not because it's really it's no different than um, just asking a person to join you in something that you're working on. It's I think when we go into it, of course, you know, our entire mission or our entire nonprofit is based upon people giving, right? But it it really isn't something that we're asking for like like in a business relationship. It's really just trying to connect with people, building that connection uh, to where they understand what you are doing and what you're trying to accomplish. And you just let the heart do it. You just let the heart take over. And, uh, you know, there's no hard feelings if they don't. Like, you know, in a business, for profit, you know, you could kind of get disappointed. Sure, I'm sure you could probably get disappointed here, but we really try to just connect people to their to what they see and what they're trying to uh, accomplish in, in terms of their giving. Cool, that's really neat. Um, you know, I guess being a director of uh, product innovation formerly um, sounds like a, a really neat role. Um, uh, and it sounds like it also, you know, puts a lot of emphasis on sort of like the new and creating and, mm, you know, yeah. um, and, and I know that, uh, you know, finding that inspiration uh, sometimes can be kind of interesting or where you pull inspiration from. But um, how, how did you kind of feel like you, um, you continued to be creative and come mm -hmm. up with those things? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. It's, it's all about connecting those dots. And so in order to connect those dots, you have to um, go about your day or your, your, um, your week or your month, always looking for new things, always exposing yourself to new experiences. So I can find inspiration a lot of different, a lot of different ways. I mean, just driving down the highway, I can find in inspiration uh, by noticing something and because you have these things these other experiences that you have you have uh, put yourself in front of over you know months and years and sometimes it's just connecting those dots from new experience to the new experience so i always would like to go to trade shows walk around see new things uh, spend time online looking at new new ways people do things new companies so it's really it's it's about accessing the creativity through new experiences. Cool. Uh, did you have more epiphanies in the the shower or the boardroom? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely the shower. You know that, that's interesting. You say that because I I heard that I read somewhere that they said uh, when you shower, it's accessing the creative side of your brain. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of weird, but it it really is. 
funny how you do have those those new ideas when you're taking the shower. It is funny it's where crazy. it is. Yeah. It's uh, really crazy. Yeah, but but uh I I do enjoy the collaboration with others in the boardroom and you, you know, new ideas do do find their their way there as well. Yeah, that's that's fun. That's cool. Um what what would you say um makes a good product uh versus a bad product and and definitely you don't have to name any names here but yeah. uh you know but uh, obviously you know certainly you're gonna have things that were a wild success and things that maybe weren't yeah. so much um but you know it, and and then kind of maybe what's that you know like the joy versus the failure too is as you kind of see things um you know grow and succeed or yeah. maybe not do so well i think hands down the difference between a successful product and a not so successful product is how much you put the person that you're designing that product for at the for uh the forefront of of your design process because you know a lot of times you can design something think it's really great think it's really cool there's a you know 15 people in the room and we all love it but we've never actually taken the time to ask the people that we've designed it for to see what they thought. And so, you know, in my career, we've done focus groups and things like that, but it really is important to put the person that you're designing for at the very forefront of the process. So I think that's what really, for me, that's what really makes is the hallmark of a successful product and a not so successful product because if you've taken that time you're probably going to hit on some of those things that the person really wants or needs for for that matter mm -hmm, definitely um d does it uh, affect you in one way or another like if something does well or doesn't do well or oh absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i mean everybody wants to have that win right um but the losses aren't so much fun and you know you can be so close to something and you'd be emotionally attached to the idea it's really it's really it really is disappointing when either they don't get it or we didn't design it right i mean i could tell you of, of some of our product uh launches that were not so successful even though um you know the product worked the product was a great product but you know you have to make it so simple so that they get it right away i mean if you if you try to uh if you try to make something that takes time for them to actually think about or educate themselves on it you're probably going to have some challenges with that because it has to connect immediately um you know it it really is disappointing when we don't get it right and and i've been on my my side or my share of, of those losses as well but we always do learn something you know uh, one of my favorite authors, John Maxwell, he wrote a book. It was the first book I ever read from him over 20 years ago, and it's called Failing Forward, and it's all about uh, learning from your failures. Um, he also wrote another one called Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn, and um, it's really so true that you do learn just as much in the losses as you do in the wins, but everybody wants to win, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. There is a lot of wisdom that comes from from the losses for sure absolutely um so you know now i guess uh, you know how do you view your role in you know uh gifts of love international goalie like you know what and what's that kind of lasting impact that you now are looking to make 
in this role in the organization that you and the people yeah. help um because you you know uh, i don't want to say you have a a heavy you know kind of uh anybody in a nonprofit really has like you know that sort of like um uh they're doing a lot um but but what's that impact you're looking to make yeah i'm looking to create more awareness for the organization because the more awareness that we create the more people know our story and the more people that will join us in our mission because the mission is to serve underprivileged children and there you know there are a lot of opportunities there and it can be overwhelming all of the opportunities that you see before you um, but you have to really look at what is it that's in front of you so i i tend to say okay what is it what's my next step what's the thing that's right there in front of me and that's what helps me to manage that that feeling of of being overwhelmed with all the needs and all the opportunities that are out there is just look at what's in front of you and do that because that will eventually lead to the next thing in front of you and the next thing and the next thing so um that's really how i i, I look at it dang that's a good lesson <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, uh, sometimes I guess, you know, maybe stepping into a role where you are helping people opens your eyes to all these other areas, uh, of, of need, you know, for, mm -hmm. for sort of people around the world. Um, you know, and, and definitely you mentioned that it, it gets, um, you know, sort of like overwhelming sometimes, it, but, you know, obviously you're keeping a focus by, you know, just moving ahead and, you know, helping how you can. Um, but, you know, just as much as obviously you're helping in this capacity here, are there any other sort of things that you feel like now that you've been exposed to that you'd like, oh, I'd love to help here. I'd love to help here yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. It is, um, there, there are a lot of opportunities out there to do things, to create programs. You know, one thing that we've learned recently is our, uh, the company that um, founded goalie which is cosmos a group of people within the last two years have done a series of fundraisers to create a computer lab with internet access so we have uh starlink uh, satellite internet and we we actually uh, accomplished that and that that computer labs in haiti and uh the thing that we didn't realize uh was that when you you know have a project and you create this project you're also creating new need and that new need that we have now is to fund the teachers and so it's it's really kind of interesting because you could be you, you could be creating a product or a project and not really realizing that you're creating more need after that because what do you do after that and then the the other part of that is we're going to help create an english school uh within that same group and that's more need that we have so now we, we need to find people that can actually teach uh, english uh, to people who are not native uh, english speakers so the whole goal is to give them english speaking skills uh, and to be able to find remote jobs so that they can uh, can can actually develop new skills and uh, really benefit their families uh, through an online remote uh workforce opportunity wow so it yeah there there it can be it can be overwhelming but you like i said if you go back to do what's in front of you i think that uh, you'll be okay 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I think that's also maybe a good lesson in concerted planning too, because just as much as like, yeah, uh, you know, absolutely. the inner drive to like help and, and, and be there for people and discover right. new opportunities, um, you, you have to, you know, take a step back almost and realize what all the, the repercussions of that, you know, sort of even intent is, you know, you're going to have to train people and get people yep. up to speed. And yes. yeah, because yes. providing a resource without the extra supporting materials maybe isn't help at all you know <laughs> right right and what do you do when the funding runs out you know because you know you 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 sit there and develop and, and plan and do all these things but you have to you really like you said it, it, it's a lesson in planning you have to think down the road what's it going to do when you know your funding runs out so it it it's a it's a challenging thing for sure yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. Uh, we've worked with like organizations like uh, Brown School of Social Work at uh, uh, Wash U and, and PRC and, uh, and watching, you know, them go through the grant funding process and, and certainly mm -hmm. having that grant expire. And then, you know, everybody's plans change and uh, they have to <laughs> keep those things in motion. Yeah. So right. Right. Darn good point. Um, well, cool. Uh, I, I guess, uh, I, you know, as you've, uh, I mentioned up front that you've had, you know, some shifts in your career and, and definitely, um, one, you know, one was starting, uh, at, you know, launching something. So, um, what was one of the biggest challenges that you kind of faced while you were, um, you were launching Kratex and, 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 and why was it hiring? <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, about two, I think it was back in 1999, uh, a friend of mine, he invited me to come work for his business. And he had a business um, called Craytex Corporation. And the role that I had was to sell a specific product. And what we did was he actually built a business out of that called Jumbo Sack Corporation. And what it was is these big industrial bags that um, manufacturers use to put dry, free-flowing product like cereals and chemicals and things like that. And so we launched Jumbo Sack. And in the very beginning of it, it was very difficult because we had this huge order uh, that we, you know, you work so hard and you finally get this big order. And uh, there was a defect that we had. And so we had to replace that uh, and save the customer. And it took, uh, oh my gosh, it took, we had everybody that we knew was helping all hands on deck, helping to replace the product and get it back to the customer. So I would say, that when you have those product failures um, in, in launching uh, a new either project or business, they can be devastating to you. But what I learned was that, you know, sometimes uh, we have to go to greater extents in those times, not sometimes, all the time. We have to go to those greater extents in order to satisfy the customer. Um, it, it, it can be devastating to you when when you have some something like that happen and, and that happened to us right at the get-go but we we survived it we were we managed to keep the customer uh replace all the product and uh move forward and, and jumbo sack is still a thriving business to this day and um, and i'm just happy to be a part of that yeah that was a great experience for me it was really a great experience that is really cool. Yeah, I I think I was insinuating hiring because I feel like that's usually the thing. That oh, tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to get big enough to hire people, uh, you know, and that you know those that is true. Hiring is 
hiring is one of the hardest things that you have to do. I mean, I, I've hired a lot of people and reviewed a lot of resumes and sometimes the resumes that you get are like, did you even read the job description? You know, it, it's pretty, actually, it's amazing how many people don't read the job description. And it really makes you feel bad because, you know, they're just looking for a job, right? And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, you can't help them. But hiring is is definitely uh, one of the hardest things to do when launching a, a new business, for sure, um, because those people are an extension of you, you know, mm -hmm. as you know, you know yeah. with your business. They are an extension of who you are, extension of your brand, and you have to get it right. And uh, many times we don't. Uh, we think that we got it right, but I don't know. People are complicated <laughs> that's putting it nicely right <laughs> that's a great way of putting it <laughs> um yeah but that that is cool I, I i definitely do like your the the lesson on product failure and stepping in and making sure that you make it right make the customer happy though too i do feel like that's super important because uh certainly you know not everything goes to plan even with sufficient no. or plenty of planning and uh and when that happens um you know you gotta you gotta step in and do the right thing so you do yeah. you really do and we had in that product uh, failure that we had our manufacturer backed us up i mean it was a hundred thousand dollar loss to wow. him and uh he he stood behind the product and he made it right and the customer is still a customer to this day and that's been uh, probably over 20 years now and uh, that that customer we got on a cold call um, years ago, and it's still a customer today because we we did everything that we could to make it right, and um, the manufacturer backed us up. So that's the other lesson: is having good suppliers. You know, you, yeah. it, it really is a relation. I mean, it really is a relationship and a partnership. Uh, and if you don't have that, you're you're not gonna succeed very you're not going to succeed very well. Absolutely. Boy, I keep drawing those lines in my head that, yeah, it, it all comes kind of come back, uh, comes back to the partnership relationship. Yeah. Thing. Yes. Um, well, cool. Well, you know, aside from uh, that experience, you know, I, I know also that, uh, you know, you're, you're a growth coach and do coaching uh, for businesses and business owners and, and people in business. And uh, that puts you in a position of seeing the struggles of people and you get a, a chance to help improve, you know, their lives and, and what they're doing. Um, what makes that uh, in your current position uh, the same and what kind of makes it different? Yeah, I guess the same is, is, is business development. You know, um, that, that is uh, that that that's been something that I've just been able to just hit the ground running with, going from the for profit to the nonprofit goalie is the business development. That's that's been the same. The different part is 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 that everything that you do is just basically related to people just giving their time and their treasure. Um, towards a mission that that you're you know it's not a product that you're putting on a shelf and and someone's buying um it, you're really the different part is you're really telling a story and you're telling a story about people who are uh, in our case underprivileged children and you're really trying to make that heart connection with people so that they can 
you know, uh, have that opportunity to give. I think that there are a lot of CEOs, there are a lot of business people, there are a lot of individuals that want to give. I'm convinced of this, that they want to give, but they just don't know where to give. They don't know who they can give their money to that they feel that it's a trustworthy uh, organization. And I think that the, the different part is for us to go out and make that trust happen. And that's the creating awareness, which is what I've been talking about, the relationships. Because if you don't have that trust, those people can't do what's in their heart to do, which is to give towards uh, some cause that they believe in. Definitely. Yeah. On, on the business coaching, you know, end of things, um, is I, I've asked this to one other person who happened to do business coaching and stuff too, is business coaching pseudotherapy? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely is. It, it definitely is because I think that that one of the things that um, that I see as far as like a common thread with people is that it, it's about self-awareness. It's, it's, I think a lot of people don't really have the self-awareness that they need in order to get the results that they want. But, you know, in coaching, it's all about the answer is always going to come from within. It's all about asking questions. It's all about is is kind of bringing that out from from in inside the person out. You know, it's it the answer is there. It's just that they haven't had the opportunity to actually formulate their thoughts, or they haven't been given the opportunity, or they asked the question to help them find the answer from within themselves. So it is pseudotherapy. I think for sure it is. Um, it, it, it's it's definitely something that would benefit everyone if they have a coach. I mean, what is it, Jim Rohn, he said, you're the average of your five closest friends. And I, and I don't know if it was Jim Rohn that said that, but I, it, I think it was, but it's true, I mean, you really are the average of your five close, cl closest friends. Um, and I think that we see that uh, when when we are in those growth coaching uh, experiences. Personal growth is something that I'm passionate about. And I, you know, just naturally want to help people. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that, that would be my answer to that question. Mm, cool. Um you know, in, in order to help businesses achieve growth, uh, you really have to find that dig to the root of the issues that are getting in a way, like we're talking with the pseudotherapy. Um, do you have any uh, tips or advice on how to get to that source? Yeah. Um, are there any common things that, you know, you see people constantly struggling with? Um, yeah. What, what, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, like I said earlier, self-awareness, I think, is is one of those things that people struggle with and i think that that the answer to that is personal growth it's learning it's constantly i would say that my secret to my success for me this is the answer to me for me is is learning is always trying to learn learn some new skill learn a, a new way to do things learn about something reading um you know the old saying is uh, those who read are those who read lead right and I, I really think that is because you're putting yourself uh, in front of new information new experiences so I would say that people struggle 
um, in, in myself, I mean, we all have our struggles, right? Uh, I think it's because we haven't, we haven't put ourselves in the position to grow. If you know, when you're growing, it's uncomfortable. But that's when you know that you're growing is when you put yourself in, in, in a situation where you're not so sure that, you know, how it's going to turn out. And, and I think that's where we see uh, growth. And um, I think that the other thing, part of that learning is, is what I call skill stacking, is you take one skill and you find a skill that's complementary. Like, for example, graphic design, if you have that skill, you learn that skill, then you learn web development, right? You start stacking these skills on top of each other, you become very valuable. And uh, uh, I think that those are ways that we can learn uh, and grow. And um, yeah, I think that, that that's probably a, a good theme uh, that, that learning is probably my favorite thing to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I can certainly see how that that could be, you know, the thing that obviously is helpful, you know, for, own, you know, people's own growth. And uh, it, it, I and as I think about it, too, uh, it also helps with the relatability, you know, um, yeah. I, I, I know, even as you and I were talking, uh, you know, side interests and hobbies, you know, whether that be like, you know, audio stuff, uh, just, you know, fun things. But, you know, yeah. having those relation points are incredibly exciting when you learn things outside of your normal boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. for sure yeah cool well all right and then the last one uh is just a fun one but uh i i know that you're a barbecue fan and have tried some amazing legendary places uh you, you told me about a few of them uh probably more than a few which actually sound all incredible and i gotta keep them on my list <laughs> but uh can you call it right now on who has better barbecue between texas and kansas city yeah, I can call that one right now. Oh, <laughs> Texas barbecue for me for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's hands down. And I've been to a lot of Kansas City barbecue restaurants. Like mm -hmm. we said, we were talking. Every time I go through Kansas City or to Kansas City, I stop a couple of them at least. And uh, I've been to not all of them because you know they're all always new ones, especially here in St. Louis. I can't believe how many new places. I'm just I, I've given up trying to to hit them all because there's just too many new ones. But um, for sure, Texas barbecue, and I've been to several of those as well. The difference is, I think you were going to ask me, what's the difference? The difference in approach, and I would say that that the difference is how they go about cooking it mm -hmm. because in texas you see a lot of those restaurants are offset cookers and they're using sticks they're they're burning wood and you know i i would i mean there's so many barbecue restaurants there's like three thousand barbecue restaurants in texas alone it's just actually staggering but the approach is different it, for sure like in kansas city most of the restaurants that i've seen Maybe not most, but a lot of them use the the industrial cookers, which you know they're gas they're gas fed, and then they they you know put a lot a log or two in there, and the heat does most of the work. And a lot of times those restaurants don't really have, uh, and it's not all of them, but a lot of those a lot of times they don't really have that great smoke taste that you're looking for. The ones that do have the actual wood burning cookers you can tell the difference but in texas 
a lot of those restaurants are those offset cookers, big giant oil um, propane tanks and things like that that they create into some cook cooker that you know is fed with post oak. And uh, I think that's the difference. And then of course, you know, you know, brisket, sausage, you know, those are those are things in Texas that you see a lot. Um, but I just prefer that it's just me for sure. I just prefer that over Kansas City barbecue. I get it. I I actually just, I I almost agree. No it. <laughs> it's, it's just it, yeah. It's just really not. I mean, it's it's not a competition. I mean, Kansas City has great barbecue, right? But I don't know. It's just there's just something about building a fire and the artistry that goes into that cooking. You know, it because it's hard to keep a temperature a certain temperature when you're using just wood and steel, you know, it's, it's all about airflow, fire management, clean fire, clean smoke. And that's not easy to do. I mean, I struggle with it. I've got what, 10 smokers here at my house. Uh, I love to cook. You've got I love 10? To, yeah. I think I might have 11 actually. Oh man. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, um, I like to build them also. I like to build them just as much as I like to uh, cook on them. But I've, you know, I've got a propane smoker. I've got an electric smoker. I've got a ceramic cooker. I've got uh, a trailer cooker that I built. Took two years to build. It's in my garage. Um, I've got an offset. Uh, so I like like to do the different, you know, methods of cooking. And it's hard to maintain that unless you're using something like gas or whatever. But, you know, the difference is, though, the difference also in Kansas City versus Texas is, like I said, a lot of those Kansas City places are using those old hickory pits, which are great cookers. They're made here in Cape Girardeau. I actually met the guy one time that owns that business. Uh, they're awesome cookers. But... Um, there's just something about building a fire and using actual wood and coals to keep that fire going. It, it just creates a much more flavorful in terms of smoke uh, in my, in my humble opinion. Yeah. No, 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 that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad to get that opinion. Uh, I think you told me about the trifecta of places that you visited in Texas yeah, uh, the other day. That was awesome. And, and you, and, uh, and I don't think, uh, I, I mean like, it made me want to go. Uh, you know how how <laughs> you should go. <laughs> yeah, I, I now want to go. I'm I'm marking it on my list. I got to do it. Yeah, that's a that's the the birthplace of brisket, from what I understand. Um, yeah, I don't I, know if it's true or not, but they certainly have a lot a lot of great places there in Lockhart. I'm not even making this up. I actually have brisket burn-ins in my fridge. I'm looking forward to it for lunch. I I, I can't. I, not not making that I'm here. that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I I am I, a barbecue lover as well. Uh, but I I don't have eleven uh ten <laughs> smokers. So ten or eleven. Yeah. I I lost count because I think I I think I got rid of one. I had to count them again. Yeah, they're 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 cookers. They're everything from a grill to you know a smoker. So yeah, I think it's all barbecue to me. It's uh, it's all it's all using fire as your as your medium for the most part. I I got I'm gonna get rid of my gas uh, propane one that I had because I had a mouse grow a nest in it and uh, oh. that's just disgusting. So 
that, that one's going to the dump too. That's not the flavor additive you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I I power washed it all out. I was like, this is disgusting. I can't use this to cook ever again. Yeah, definitely. Kind of, um, yeah, I don't think I could use that either. Well, uh, I really appreciate your your uh, your your steadfast answer on that. That was uh, that, that was much appreciated. And honestly, it was great to chat with you about you know your your career, some of the lessons and stuff that you've learned, and uh, and really, yeah, it was awesome to be able to chat. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for uh, giving me this opportunity. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, this has been another episode of Mix and Matchbox. I am your host, Brent Feldman. We will be back soon with more content. Please like and subscribe. Thank you very much.